Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz pianist, composer, and educator Neil Kirkwood. We get into his new 2024 CD, Night City, that stands all at once as playful, urbane, and exuberant. The musicians and the compositions conjure up hopes and dreams, bring to mind the magnificence and the beauty of city life, and paint a lot of great portraits. Over his long career, he has composed for classical ensembles, vocal ensembles, solo piano, and full orchestra. We cover all of it, the whole gamut. Enjoy this interview. It's great to meet you. Thank you for taking a minute out to talk about the new album and, you know, kind of what's going on in your world. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. It's great. Yeah, absolutely. So before we get into the latest album, you know, we're going on the four-year anniversary of this pandemic, and I'm curious, how did you survive that time period, and how did it subsequently change you? The main thing for me, and I think I've heard other people say this, is we discovered some new technologies. Yeah. And uh, so actually I taught full time through it on Zoom. So I kept busy and uh, hopefully helped my students get through it too, you know, give them something to, to do. So I got through it and uh, moved on. I, as far as how it changed me, I think it's just uh, obviously fewer gigs and traveling and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, since I compose music too, it gives me a chance to focus on that. So, so the, the latest album on night city with the big band, talk to me about how this came about. How did you artistically put this together? Well, it's, um, I'm very excited about this album. It's the first album of my big band music that I put out. I've done, uh, quartets, solo, uh, I had an octet for a while, but uh, the thing is, I've been writing big band music for over 40 years. <laughs> and uh, so it was kind of a, the idea is just a representation of of my music through the years. Uh, I had the most recent piece was from last year, and then the earliest was from 1984. So, And then uh, the band itself, the players, we've been together playing as the Neil Kirkwood Big Band for about 10 years. And but before that, uh, I co-led a band called the Discovery Orchestra, a lot of the same players. And uh, and we rehearsed at the Musicians Union and, and get together for a long time. So it's a long association and uh, really important for me to record not just my music, but the musicians playing in the band. Just, you know, wonderful people like Art Barron and James Aller. And I could list them all, but it's great. Yeah. I just recently interviewed uh, James. He has Kansas City connections. He's wonderful. Yeah, listen to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great cat. So talk to me a little bit about what you ultimately hope the listener gets from this album. I mean, I know big band albums always really infuse me with this just overwhelming sense of knowing that jazz is this mighty powerful force that I fell in love with in the beginning. But what ultimately do you want as the orchestrator of this album the, the listener to get one of the metaphors I think of for uh, music in general, my own compositions is a journey. So I like to think of the listening experience as a journey. So I know people listen a little differently nowadays and they don't necessarily listen from beginning to end, but I did try to make it uh, the whole CD, you know, it's a little, it's over an hour, but uh, kind of have an arc to it. Um, so I hope people will take the time <laughs> But uh, it, that's that's my main idea. As far as the the orchestrations, I'm really interested in uh, the history of the big band. So I kind of 
not uh, not retro at all, but I, I liked the qualities from like uh, one piece is called Patty Harmon's Dreamland Ballroom, inspired by a Chicago ballroom from the late 1920s. So I kind of imagined some of that era. Uh, uh, one's a blues, and then some's very, very modern music. I studied composition, so it's a wide range of, I wouldn't say styles, but approaches to, to composing. And uh, and the other part is, is again, I have to get back to the band members. Every piece is written generally with an idea of, of a, one or two people that will be soloing or uh, just the sound of a section or the sound of uh, the mutes for the same piece. Patty Harmon is, yeah, Patty Harmon actually uh, was behind the invention of the Harmon mute. He financed it. He didn't invent it himself. So uh, I use a lot of Harmon mutes. <laughs> uh, so, and every piece has kind of a personal, not necessarily a story or narrative, but a, a meaning to me. Yeah. So how did this journey, not only into the music, but this fascination with big band, which you're going on 44 plus decades of being involved with this, how did all of this become your focus and become who you are? Well, it's kind of a funny, funny journey to that. Um, out of high school, my first year of college, I went to North Texas State for one year and met some great people, had a, had a great time and learned a lot. But I didn't go back after one year. And my thinking was, yeah, it's all big bands. I, at that time, I didn't like, wasn't that interested in big bands. You know, as a, piano, as a pianist, you know, it's not much, could be kind of restrictive. So uh, then I eventually lived in San Francisco, was playing jazz in small groups and not really thinking about the big band at all. But then I moved to New York and uh, I went back to school and studied composition, classical composition. And, uh, then started uh, playing, you know, their, their rehearsal bands and just so many musicians in New York were all trying to get together. And a big band's kind of a logical way to get a big group together. And then I, uh, oh, and then uh, I did the BMI Jazz Composers Workshop in late 80s with Bob Brookmeyer and Manny Album and a bunch of great uh, composers, arrangers. And that got me writing because we'd have two concerts a year and uh, Bob would share his ideas with us. And so that got me kind of interested. And then uh, I was thinking about how to bring my, some of those things I studied with a composer named Charles Jones from classical influences. And then, like I say, going back to the more the traditional jazz and how to put that together. And then um, an interest in orchestration in general and yeah. the challenge of like making the big band not sound like a big band all the time. Yeah. So that's one of my challenges. The woodwinds, doubles, lots of flutes and clarinets, even oboe on one tune. Um, the mutes and all these kind of sounds that can be unique, even though it's a, a ensemble that's been mined for a long time. So what was the first show growing up? What was the very first one that blew you away that made you either want to go after it harder or get on that stage and do it yourself? Well, I, I do remember there's one memorable one, which is not, uh, it's interesting, it's related to the Bay Area, because I grew up in Santa Rosa, which is north of San Francisco. Yeah. And I there's no jazz band in high school, but there was a junior college I got to play in. And there was a concert at Sonoma State, and it was Woody Herman Big Band. And then, but that wasn't what got me, it was the opening group. 
was a violinist named Michael White. Okay. I don't know if you've heard of him. He yeah, played yeah. Andy and But in his band was a pianist named Ed Kelly, who was a Bay Area legend. Uh, yeah. And just the way he approached the piano, I guess I'd never heard. I don't know. It was just so kind of open and free, and it just like kind of blew my mind. <laughs> yeah. So that's one yeah. memory. Right on. Well, you know, you've been at this for a long time. What is the thing that gets you motivated every day to compose, orchestrate, and to put all of this together? What is the motivating force for you? It's like breathing for me. <laughs> I just have, I have to do it. You know, it's my way of expressing uh, and seeing life through the music. Um, and also, I'm inspired by my students, honestly, because I teach and uh, I write music for my student ensembles and uh, so it's just you know I sometimes I wake up in the morning uh might not be a tune I might think about a couple notes and how they're going to fit together yeah so it's just become part it becomes part of your life if you you make it that you know yeah yeah I mean it's like your it's your DNA it's it's your right to life so to speak so let me ask you this you've been around a lot of players you know You've been around a lot of uh, a lot of different experiences throughout your career. What do you try to teach the younger generation? What do you try to lend to them that they'll understand about this world? Main first step is I try to get them to have fun. Yeah, because you know it's not I don't try to beat in any kind of uh, particular style or particular kind of music or. But I just try to have some fun. I, you know, I, I teach at a community music school mostly, which is uh, what we say, ages eight to eighty. But you know, most of my students are high school or younger. Yeah. And uh, so it's inspiring to see sometimes that they discover something on their own, or if, if they hear something, they bring it in. I say, oh, let's do that. So I try to connect to their experience. Um. Yeah, and then just try to come from where they are you know i try i learn a lot from my students too so where are you now well let's try this and build gradually try to make it kind of organic if i have an ensemble like oh why don't you why don't you bring in an idea some people actually write to have come my students are writing music and uh, and we have different instrumentation so it's always an interesting thing you know who's in the band yeah so so why do you love jazz that's a good question. Also, um, I know I, you know, I fell in love with it when I was in high school. I was playing classical music. I think this is probably a typical story. Uh, you know, I love classical music, and I love. I took lessons, but it, it seemed somewhat limiting in a sense that you know, the notes are on the page. You've got to play it. You got to. If you don't practice enough, then you're not playing well. <laughs> and something about improvising. And being able to create in the moment was so liberating. And and then there was this the whole world of of um, the personalities and the it was just to me it was like I was kind of in awe of all these people that were out there playing jazz. Like, uh, yeah, the creativity, spontaneous spontaneity of creating in the moment, and in the sense and again and playing with other people. So you're sitting at your piano in your practice room. Yeah, yeah it's great. But yeah. when I got together with my friends and we started all exploring together, it was so much fun too. You know, it's just, yeah. yeah. 
So in the realm of big bands specifically, if you could go back in time and see one band, see how all of those pieces came together with your own eyes, where are you going? Duke Ellington. <laughs> uh, maybe the early 40s band, Jimmy Blanton, Ben Webster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love to sit. I get it. Gigs. Yeah. You can hear the the great recording, like the one from Fargo, North Dakota, was that band. They're playing dance. You know, they just play dances all the time. But yeah, kind of vibe. I join you on that one for sure. So at the end of the day, everyone out there has a perception of you: family, friends, fans, students. But you run the show. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? That's an interesting question. Also, you're asking good questions. That's a. <laughs> <laughs> um, I see. I don't actually see myself because I'm looking out. <laughs> so I guess I see myself in the world around me. So, um, so the the music that I create is a huge part of me, but. Um, also interacting how I interact with other people and hopefully I'm able to uh, help other people get through things too. Yeah. Through, through the music or through my teaching. Um, that's it. I don't actually sit up there and look back at myself too often. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, I dig it. Yeah. So anyone out there that wants to pick up the new album, best place to go, anything more about your world, where's the best place for them to go? Okay, well, the, the album will be on my Bandcamp page. It's also put out by Brooklyn Jazz Underground Records. So you can go to their, their website. It's, you can get it there. Uh, release date is February 23rd. So you can pre-order there on their website. And then we have our um, release date, our release concert on March 3rd, uh, Sunday afternoon at 3 o'clock. Here in New York City at the Third Street Music School, which is where I teach. Uh, they have a lovely auditorium. Uh, it's on 11th Street. <laughs> it's the Third Street, Third Street Musical Music School on 11th Street, 235 uh, East 11th. Uh, so that's our our big presentation of this music. Sure, public. Then uh, I I play my trio. I have a, a trio with uh, Rob Garcia who plays drums on the album and Jeff Carney, bass player. We'll be at Mesro at the end of May. And then uh, the big band will be back May 16th at Shapeshifter in Brooklyn. Neil, thank you so much. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you taking a minute out. This has been fascinating. Thanks for your time. Good luck with the album release. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and minds in New York City, Kansas City, and spots all over the globe, giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Neil for his time, energy, and story. If you want to hear more Neon Jazz interviews, you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us at YouTube, and for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.